0: Okay, so Galatians, as we dive in here, we saw this last week that these churches, this letter, the Galatian letter, was written to a a group of churches in uh, southern Turkey, the Roman province of Galatia. They were churches that Paul himself had established and he had planted. He'd done so on two missionary journeys. He had visited these cities uh, a number of times. He'd preached the gospel in these cities. He'd set in order these newly uh, formed churches. And after these churches were established and Paul had gone on and done more missionary work and done other things, a group of false teachers, Jewish false teachers, infiltrated the ranks. And uh, they got into the church. They attacked uh, Paul. They attacked uh, the gospel that Paul preached. And they attacked Paul and his reputation as an apostle, and they told these churches, this was the message these false teachers uh, shared with those in the church. They said this Paul, Paul preached Christ to you, but he failed to tell you that in addition to Jesus, you need to become Jewish in your faith. You, you need to add the law of Moses to your faith. You need to take on the practice of circumcision, which is a sign that you are God's covenant people, an outward sign of that. And they preached this message, as we saw last week, they preached a message of Jesus plus. That's what we call it, Jesus plus. Jesus plus law. Jesus plus Moses. Jesus plus work. This message, they said, of of faith only gets you part way. And what you need to do is you need to add to the works of Jesus uh, with your own works. And We saw this as we were in Galatians chapter one, the earlier part last week, that this is a perversion of the gospel. The gospel is this message. It's Jesus plus nothing. The gospel is a message of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And the false teachers preached this Jesus plus message and they sought to undermine Paul's Paul's gospel Um, and not not simply were they seeking to undermine the gospel that Paul preached with this Jesus plus message, but they sought to attack the character of the man himself. Because if you want to undermine the message, you attack the messenger. And so they said this, you know, to these churches, you know, Paul, Paul didn't quite get the gospel right when he preached it to you. And the reason why he didn't quite get it right is that he is not really an apostle. If he was a real apostle, Like if he was a real apostle, like one of the 12, or let's say if Peter had come here or one of the others, they would have communicated to you that when you receive Jesus, you also need to become a Jewish. And Paul got it wrong because he's not one of the 12. Paul got it wrong because the gospel came to him secondhand. He didn't get the gospel directly from Jesus like, like the 12. And And they proclaimed that it was this old you know, game of telephone. You know that game? The message passed on from one person to the next to the next person and the original message changes. And they said this, that's what happened to Paul. Why didn't he teach you the message of Jesus plus and the need to add the law to your faith? And so they were saying about Paul, Paul doesn't preach a full gospel. So in the Galatian churches, There was this perversion of the gospel message that had crept in. And as a result, they were deserting faith in Jesus. They were deserting the gospel of grace. And they were turning, Paul said, to that which was another gospel and was actually no gospel at all. So two things were happening as we just get our bearings here and get back into chapter one here. The gospel was being twisted into something else, a religion based on works. And Paul himself was being attacked and there was this uh, creation of strain in the relationship between Paul and the churches that he had planted. And so Paul opened this letter by asserting his authority as an apostle and by declaring that there's only one gospel, there's only one message of Jesus and it is a gospel of grace and anyone who preaches anything else is distorting and perverting the message of good news. And so in our text today, Paul gives a defense of God's call upon his life and a defense of the gospel that he preached. Paul was personally being attacked and kind of the question was this, well, where did Paul get the gospel that he has preached to you? What is the origin of Paul's gospel? Why should Paul's message be received as the only gospel? What what gives him the authority? Who gives him the authority to make such an assertion that his message, the message of the gospel that he preaches, is the only gospel? And so these false teachers said, You know, Peter and John, we know where they got the gospel. The 12, we know where they got the gospel. It came from Jesus himself. Where did Paul get his gospel? Where did it come from? Who did it come from? Did he make it up? Like a false prophet, was it conceived in the imaginations of his own mind? And so Paul answers this in verse 11 of chapter one. It says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul firstly declares some things. He says this, The gospel that was preached by me to you, was not man's gospel. It's not the gospel according to man. It's not the invention of man. The gospel does not have human origin. Paul preached it, but he didn't invent it, and he said, neither did any man invent it. In fact, he says this, I did not receive it from any man. It wasn't passed down to me from my fathers. I wasn't taught it by human teachers. I didn't go to the school of the apostles. I didn't read about it in a book. I didn't find a gospel track on the sidewalk. You know, no one gave me a a billion dollar bill gospel track. Nobody, I didn't watch Billy Graham on TV. I didn't listen to Greg Laurie on the radio. None of these things. He said this, I received it by a revelation of Jesus Christ. A revelation of Jesus Christ, which means this. It's very interesting. I was like, man, I don't know how quite you even communicate this. But it means this, not meaning that Christ revealed to Paul the gospel. Paul is saying this, Jesus revealed himself to me. And my understanding of the gospel was divine in its origin because Christ revealed himself to me. We saw this in last week in, in verse 1, that Paul made the same claim about his apostolic authority. I want to remind you of this. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul said this, My apostleship, the fact that I am an apostle, Uh, does not find its origin in the will of men. It was divine. Jesus made me an apostle. It was through him. And in the same way, he says, here in verse 11 and 12, the gospel of grace which he preached was not from men. It was through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Its origin was divine. And this is what makes Paul an apostle. We say, well, why is Paul an apostle? Why does Paul fit in and be counted amongst the 12 and the answer is is his relationship to the gospel was very very unique paul heard the gospel from jesus himself he had a revelation of jesus it was through a revelation of christ its, its origin the origin and his understanding of the gospel was from a divine source and this is what makes paul an apostle i was thinking about this you know Paul heard the gospel from Jesus himself, just like the 12 heard the gospel from Jesus himself. Remember the 12? Jesus taught them the gospel, and then he sent them out, he commissioned them, and they went out and they proclaimed the good news of the kingdom to all who would hear. When Jesus revealed himself to Paul, he told him in Acts, 20, in Acts chapter 9 that he was going to make Paul an apostle to the Gentiles. Now think about the ministry of Jesus for a moment and how Jesus dealt with the crowds. To the crowds, Jesus, when he would teach the crowds, he would use parables, right? We know this, the gospels tell us all this. And Jesus would use parables, Isaiah prophesied that he would use parables for this purpose, so that those who did not want to hear wouldn't hear. You know, I honestly believe this, that Jesus used parables to veil, not to reveal, but to veil the message of the kingdom. And when he preached in parables, it was so that none um, who didn't want to, so that those who didn't want to hear wouldn't hear. They wouldn't hear the message of the kingdom. He spoke in parables to veil the message And and if he didn't do so, those who didn't want to hear would really have no choice. I mean, you're hearing the very voice of God. And so Jesus veiled the message. And so what did he do? He spoke in parables, but then he taught the gospel to the 12 and he sent them out to proclaim the message of the kingdom. And the crowds heard the apostles. And when they heard the apostles, they were hearing the gospel in a secondhand form. You know, when you think about it, this is how you and I have received the gospel. It's how we hear the gospel. We get a secondhand version. It's not secondhand like in you know, the thrift store, value village, used sort of way, worn out in its best days or in the rearview mirror. It's secondhand in the sense that it's not by direct revelation. It's an indirect revelation. Think about it. Who told you the gospel? Who told you the message of Jesus? Who preached Christ to you? Was it a neighbor? Was it a parent? A grandparent? Maybe your youth pastor? Did you hear it at a camp? Was the gospel proclaimed to you by a Sunday school teacher? Did you read it in a book or hear it on the radio? Did a co-worker share the wonder of God's grace through his son Jesus with you? Indirect revelation does not lessen the quality of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone, for the salvation of everyone who, excuse me, who believes. The gospel of grace, its perfection, its proclamation of the finished work of Christ who sacrificed himself for the sins of the world to rescue us from this evil world. We we all heard that gospel message through in Direct means. But in those indirect means, God's Spirit was at work. That the will of the Father would be revealed towards you in His Son, Christ Jesus, and His grace would be made known to your soul. And we are all made ambassadors of the gospel. Our, our job is to proclaim Christ. But Paul's claim here is very unique. He's saying that he had special revelation. His gospel revelation wasn't from an indirect source. He says, the gospel that came to me came directly from Jesus, which is quite the claim, isn't it? Like, that is quite the claim. It it happened on the road to Damascus. You know, I have to say this. If you came to me this morning and we were having a conversation and you told me that you had special, direct revelation from God, I'd write you off. (laughs) I would think, wow, that person, they bumped their head this morning. They ate something funny. That's that's crazy. I would be very suspicious of you claiming that you had direct revelation from the Lord. Paul claimed he had direct revelation. And so the rest of this chapter, he goes on to state some of his proof. It's going to continue on into the next chapter, and we'll pick some of it up next week. But he's going to go to tell his, his story. He's going to share his testimony, you know, sharing a, a testimony of what happened in his life before Jesus, what happened when he met Jesus, what unfolded afterwards, a personal testimony. Personal testimony is a powerful thing, isn't it? They're hard to argue with because a personal testimony is, is someone's personal experience. It can be very subjective, but you can't argue with experience. You know, I would just say this to, to you, church, tell people your testimony, Maybe you think, well, I'm not very competent at sharing the gospel or I get really nervous about that. Just tell people your testimony. Tell people what Jesus did for you. Tell them about your life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what happened afterwards. Invite them to church. So Paul begins by talking about his life before Jesus. And he says this, let me tell you what I used to be. Check it out, verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul says this, before Jesus, I was a religious Jew. I practiced Judaism, and I was extremely zealous in this. I was extremely zealous in my desire to follow the traditions of my fathers. You know, for Paul, religion, Judaism was not a part-time thing for him, you know. He didn't just go to synagogue. There was nothing nominal about his faith. It wasn't just, you know, I'm Jewish on the high holidays. That was not Paul. Paul was a religious zealot. He was un compromising, probably the best word to describe Paul was this. He was a fanatic. He was a fanatic. He was single-minded. He didn't think about anything but Judaism. And his fanaticism expressed itself in two ways that he points out. He says, first, in this expression, I persecuted the church. He had a desire to persecute the church. Listen, you're the church. You should hear this about Paul and not be... Unclear on this. Paul hated the church. Okay, if Paul was in Gibson's this morning and he saw that we were gathering, he would be seething. He would be seething. Paul gnashed his teeth at the rabbi from Nazareth. Paul hated the followers of Jesus. He hated what they were doing to Judaism. He hated their influence over the Jewish people And he went to great lengths to crush the church, to stamp out the church. He wanted to extinguish the church. Acts chapter 7 and 8 tell us about this. That Paul was present when Stephen was stoned. stoned. And, and, And Paul gave his approval at the execution of Stephen. And Paul was involved in the ravaging of the church. He was a Pharisee, but I'll tell you something else about Paul. He was also a hunter. And he hunted Christians. That's what the Bible tells us. He went from house to house. I mean, you've never met a man like Paul. I'm going to tell you, in Canada, you've never met a man like Paul. Be thankful. Paul went house to house and he dragged Christians out of their house. Men and women. He didn't care, young or old, male or female. He committed them to prison. He hated Jesus and he hated the church. And in our culture, we've never experienced the like of a man like Saul. When the diaspora happened and there was persecution in Jerusalem and the followers of Jesus began to to leave Jerusalem and, and go for safer places, safer provinces, safer cities, Paul secured the authority to go hunting in different provinces. It's difficult. You hunters know that. To get a license to hunt in a different province, that's what he went and got. Paul secured that authority. He hated the church so much that he pursued Christians in other provinces. He traveled to Damascus for the purpose of catching Christians and dragging them bound back to Jerusalem. So here's Paul, okay? This isn't a hobby for him. It's not something he does on his day off. He was fanatical about it. He had no qualms with the murder of Christians. He personally believed that threatening Christians... And arresting them was his religious duty. And you might think to yourself, come on, was Paul that bad? Look at he says it with his own pen. His goal was to destroy the church. To destroy the church and to use whatever means of violence necessary to accomplish that end. He believed it was his duty. He took pleasure in it. So That was the first way his fanaticism manifested. The second way was this, was his pursuit of religious Judaism. Again, Paul's religious practice was not restricted to the Sabbath or restricted to the synagogue. Elsewhere in scripture, we learn this, that he was the star pupil of Gamaliel, the reputed teacher of Judaism. That's who tutored Paul. Paul was the star pupil. You know, the disciples, the 12 sat at the feet of Jesus Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel and Judaism. And in Judaism, there was no more renowned teacher. Paul was a Pharisee. Compared to those his own age, he says this, I was leaving the competition and the dust. He was the Connor Bedard of Judaism, okay? That's who he was. This is how serious he was about his religion and the traditions of his father. He was a fanatic. So here's his point. His point is this, do you think that this kind of fanatic wakes up one day and decides, you know, I think I'll go preach the gospel. I, you know, I think I'll go, you know, the gospel that I've been persecuting, I think I'll go proclaim it. The Jesus that I hate, I think I'll go teach Jesus. The church that I want to destroy, I think I'll go join it. That's not what happened. That's not how it works. You couldn't have made Paul, listen, listen. You could not have made Paul a convert of Jesus if it had been at the end of a sword. If you held a gun to his temple and said, confess Jesus, he would say, pull the trigger. That's what he was. That's who he was. And what happened? Well, only Jesus could turn someone like this around. And it happened through a revelation of Jesus. It's actually amazing that Paul is so transparent about what he was in the past. Only someone who's experienced the grace of God and the forgiveness that's available in Christ Jesus would be this willing to be this transparent about their past and not to proclaim their own glory, but to proclaim him who had saved him by his goodness and grace. Paul says, this is what I was. Then verse 15, but... If you got a pen, you got to circle that word, <laughs> but, in your Bible. Verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his Son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I, I love this, that, that after Paul describes his life, well, when Paul describes his life before Christ, He uses a lot of I statements. And then when he speaks about what Jesus did for him, he says, but when he, but when he intercepted my life, but God, this verse 15 is the contrast. It's in contrast to the pattern of the previous verses. And verse 13 and 14, Paul speaks in the first person. He says this, I persecuted the church. I violently tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond my years. I was jealous for the tradition of my fathers. I, 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 I. But the contrast begins in verse 15 when he speaks about God. He says, but God. But when he, God who set me apart before I was born, God called me by his grace. God was pleased to reveal his son to me. Paul set the course he desired for his life. He was pursuing his own direction. He was pursuing his own fanaticism, but God, he says. It was a course correction. An about face. 180 degrees, literally, literally, Paul was knocked off his high horse, as you well know. Jesus put Paul on the ground. He had Paul lick the dust and this is his point and it's important that we understand this Paul is saying this this was not done by my own initiative it was not my strategy or plan I had no thought or inkling to serve Jesus Christ intercepted me Jesus knocked me off my high horse God stopped me in my tracks And the Lord said to him, I am commandeering this vessel. It's very important that Paul communicates his belief that God initiated what happened to him. He says this, he who set me apart before I was born. Set apart before he was born. The Bible tells us this about people. Predestined. You know, John the Baptist was set apart before he was born. Josiah He was set apart, the scripture tells us, to the Lord before he was born. Jacob set apart from Esau before he was born. Jeremiah was told that the Lord had set him apart before he was born. Isaac was declared to be a child of promise before he was born. Paul was set apart before he was born to be an apostle. He didn't take steps towards Jesus. Paul was hunting Christians, and he didn't know this, Jesus was hunting him. Let me ask you, dear Christian, do you have a conviction that God set you apart before you were born to serve him? Do you have a conviction that God set you apart for his purposes, for the purposes of Christ before you were born? Not to set you at the center of the gospel. God set you apart because Jesus is at the center of the gospel, and God wanted to reveal His grace to you in His Son for His glory. You know, there's that old question, did God choose us or did we choose Him? I get so sick of it. just like to say that, you know. Sounded good. We'll never settle that question, will we? I'll leave you to argue that out. Just, you know, ask the Lord how that works. Did I choose you, Lord, or did you choose me? All I know is this. Paul said he had no intention of being a missionary church planter for Jesus. He would have preferred killing Christians. In fact, he hated Jesus. He did everything he could to oppose the name of Jesus. And then he met Jesus. And and Paul came to understand that God had set his eye upon him while he was yet in his mother's womb. That's an amazing statement. No human eye had even beheld him. His frame was still being knit together and fashioned in his mother's womb. But God set his eye on Paul. And at just the right time, at just the right time, Paul says, he called me by grace. Called by grace. Have you heard the call of grace, church? Have you heard the call of grace? That's a reality for every one of us. Let me ask this question. When Jesus called, did you deserve it? I didn't deserve it. I was captive to sin. I was a prisoner of sin. I was a convict. I was lost. I was blind. And I was dead in my sin. Sin was my master, but God. But God, church, this is our story. We were slaves. We were held hostage to sin. We were held hostage to its power. Then he who set us apart before we were born called us by his grace. By grace. By grace you have been saved and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no man should boast. Our boast, church, is Jesus. Our boasting is in the gift of God. Jesus saved us. Jesus was sacrificed for our sin to rescue us from sin and to rescue us from this evil age. And we're not called because of merit. We're not called because of good works. Not called because we deserve it. We cannot grasp this enough, can we? We really can't. God didn't call us because he saw something good in us. He called us because he is good. You understand the difference? God did not call us because there was something good in us. He called us because He Himself is the very essence of goodness. And apart from God, there's no good in us. But Jesus is entirely good and He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. We are in debt to grace. And Paul says this, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now, did Paul say that God revealed his son to me because he was pleased with me? I just want to point this out. Paul didn't say God was so pleased with me, he revealed his son to me. He says, no, it was the pleasure of the father to reveal the son. It was the pleasure of the father to reveal the son. And in salvation, you can think about your own salvation for a minute. And let me point this out to you. In your salvation, the pleasure of God is found not in you, but in Jesus. The pleasure of God is found in the revelation of His Son. We get this very wrong in our generation. The pleasure of God is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. The greatest pleasure of the Father is to reveal His Son. And the Father is so committed to that mission... He has so highly exalted Jesus that he has bestowed upon him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'll tell you something, Jesus, God is pleased to reveal Jesus to you. And in Jesus, you will find hope. In Jesus, you will find forgiveness. In Jesus, you will find redemption. You will find promise for the future. You will find mercy, grace. You will find goodness. You will find faithfulness. And I could spend the rest of the day going on and on and on and on and on about the goodness of God that you will find in Christ. And so Paul to the Galatian churches spoke about his life before Jesus. And the reality that he was going in an absolutely, completely opposite direction of Jesus. But then when he met Jesus, he didn't initiate anything. It was received by grace. It was unmerited favor. Grace was revealed to him. And he came to understand that God's eye was upon him even before he was born. He realized that it was the pleasure of God to reveal to him Jesus. You see, church, it's all grace. It's all grace. Do you know that about your own life? Wherever you are, it is the grace of God. Where God leads, it will be by grace. Oh, for more grace. Oh, for more grace. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am a Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. May we do not delight to know the Lord. Lord, may we delight to know you. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be, right? Remember Paul's argument, is that the gospel that he preached was not man's gospel. He did not receive it from any man, nor was he taught it, but he received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he talks about his past. He talks about coming to faith. And now he tells what happens afterward, what happened after he got saved. So check out verse 17. He says this. Actually, maybe I'll just read the end of verse 16 just to catch us up too. He says this, I did not immediately consult with anyone, verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul's establishing the case for the gospel that he preached, a gospel of grace compared to the gospel of Jesus plus, which is no gospel, the gospel of grace. And so he says this, once I met Jesus, once I got saved, I didn't go and seek out the apostles. I didn't go directly to Jerusalem. He's emphasizing the point that the gospel came to him as a revelation from Jesus and not from men. He went from Damascus into Arabia and we don't know what happened. I mean, from there on, we can only speculate. He was there for three years. Did he live in a city? I don't know. Was he in the wilderness? Maybe. I don't know. I know this, he didn't go to the school of the apostles while he was in Arabia, okay? He didn't go to the school of the supernatural in Arabia. By the way, I'm all for biblical theological training. I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek. Paul had more scripture training than all of us in the room combined, okay? But he had to learn this in Arabia. He had to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus. Moses was schooled for 40 years in Egypt then, so he could be useful, he had to spend 40 years being schooled in the wilderness before he was ready to lead the children of Israel. John the Baptist, where was he when God called him, church? He was in the wilderness. David, before he rose to be king, spent time being schooled in the wilderness while he was hiding from Saul. Elijah, schooled in the wilderness on the run from Jezebel. And I think this was probably Paul's wilderness. His world had been turned from upside down to right side up. He went into Arabia to wrestle through the questions of faith and how he could have been so wrong. I mean, think about this for a moment. I mean, we could spend a lot of time here, but let me just throw out a couple of things. Think about this. Who taught Paul about the Lord's Supper? In 1 Corinthians 11, he says this, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. How did Paul know about the body and blood of the Lord? How did Paul know about the cross? How did he come to comprehend the reality of the resurrection? How did he know these things? They were a revelation of Jesus Christ to Paul. And I imagine he and the Lord had some pretty mind-blowing conversations in Arabia. Now the point is this. Paul is saying, I didn't go directly to the apostles to learn the gospel. I received a direct revelation from Jesus. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Three years go by and Paul finally makes his way to Jerusalem and he doesn't connect with any of the apostles except for Peter. They hung out for two weeks. Now that's not an insignificant amount of time, but it's nothing to write home about, is it? You know, it's like Peter had three years with Jesus and on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter got it wrong. Paul had two weeks with Peter. You can only discuss so much in two weeks. Paul also connected with the Lord's brother, James. I bet they had some fun discussions. Paul peppered him with questions about growing up with Jesus. So Paul swears, I'm not lying to you about these things. So after a period of three years in Arabia, Paul got two weeks, two weeks of discipleship with Peter. So here in Galatia, to where he writes his church, these Judaizers are making these accusation against him. They're slandering his ministry. You know, saying he wasn't really an apostle. Accusing him of just repeating a secondhand message and leaving out, you know, the fact that you got to add to Jesus and you got to become Jewish and you got to add the law and you got to add circumcision. You got to add, add, add to Jesus. And the point from Paul is this I got the gospel that I preached by a revelation of Jesus. So argue all you want. Argue all you want, and you, what you end up with is a gospel, not of grace, but a gospel message of Jesus plus. From his two weeks in Jerusalem, he says this in verse 21, Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Of course, Paul was of Tar- Saul of Tarsus. Cilicia was his home province. Remember, he was born a Roman citizen, though he was a Jew. Verse 22, and I was still unknown in, the person, in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. From the Damascus Road experience, Paul spent no time in Judea outside of two weeks with Peter. Hence, he personally was unknown. He says, I was unknown to the churches in Judea. All they knew was the stories. All they knew was the account of this man who had hated the church and hated Christians and hated Jesus and who had persecuted and, and had been knocked off his high horse and now he was preaching Christ. All they knew was the incredible story of Saul's conversion. But beyond that, they didn't personally know the man. He was not connected to the Judean churches where the Judaizers had come from. The testimony was to the glory of God. Those who heard it appraised God. So Paul talked about his life as a fanatic. He shared the incredible grace that was extended to him when Jesus overtook his life. He spoke about the virtual isolation from the power players of the early church, the apostles. And all these demonstrations... All of these accounts were to demonstrate that his gospel came as a direct revelation from Jesus Christ that the message that he preached was not from man, but from God, and it was a gospel of grace, a gospel of grace, the unmerited favor of God to mankind in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. What will you do with that message? What will you do with that message that Christ died for your sins on that tree? Buried in that tomb and rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, hell, the devil, the grave, all in one shot. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And the gospel message of grace is this. What Christ offers you, you cannot earn. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And what I love about the message of Paul, if I was to give us just a few quick applications, and I'm going to invite Martin to come. Firstly, I'm reminded of this. Do you know no one is beyond the reach of grace? No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Boy, you know, we, we, we think, well, that person's too far gone. Maybe we think of ourselves, I'm too far gone. What I've done, what I've said, too wicked, too evil, too much. And let me remind you, salvation is in Jesus. It's Jesus' work, not yours. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And God takes pleasure in the revelation of Jesus. And so I would encourage you, This morning, pray for a greater revelation of Christ. Pray for a greater revelation of grace and go from here this morning and share your testimony. Tell people what Christ has done for you. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, this morning, we thank you for the gospel of grace. We thank you, Jesus, that our salvation is your work. Lord, it's your work. Lord, this morning we want to proclaim you alone. I pray, Jesus, that your grace would just be manifest upon every heart and mind this morning here. That we would know your grace, that we would experience your grace, and that we would come to know the person of Jesus. Lord, this morning we we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus who went to the cross on our behalf, died in our place, conquered death, conquered sin, and has come to set us free. He's the resurrection and the life. Jesus, may we look to you alone this morning, to you alone. The, the Father's given you the name that's above every other name that you alone might have the glory. That's the mission of the Father, to glorify the Son. And so, Father, this morning, we, we join with you. We join with all of heaven, the angels, all eternity. We join the great choir and the chorus to say, Jesus alone. To you alone, Jesus. To you alone belongs all the glory. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you'd save us. In Jesus' name, amen.